Don't hang up that phone. We found what you're looking for. Welcome to the Five Minutes with RCDD podcast. Well, seeing how we're pulling Category 6A, the most powerful twisted pair in the world, you got to ask yourself this one question. Did I pull 295 or 300 feet? Well, do you feel lucky? Do you punk? In this podcast, you'll learn the differences between a 66 and 110 punch tool, the proper way to install a support cable, along with terminating and testing parameters. What exactly does RCDD stand for? Really can't do diddly? (laughs) (laughs) Or just some guy that's just sitting around in a chair making podcasts. So join us as we talk about the ever-changing world of telecommunications. From ISP to OSP. From copper to fiber. Design to installation. Now send the new guy to the truck for a bucket of dial tone and the cable stretchers. While you listen to an informative program on telecommunications. Here's your host, Chuck Bowser, RCDD. Welcome to episode four. We're continuing our three-part series on bits, bytes, megahertz versus megabits. Last week, if you remember, we talked about all them ones and zeros, bits and bytes. Today, we're going to continue that conversation, talking about the sinusoidal wave, or sine wave, and encoding schemes. So welcome back to the mini-series. This episode, we'll be covering the sinusoidal wave and all those different encoding schemes. We're building on that foundation of our last episode of Bits and Bytes. We'll finish out this series on the next episode by discussing how this applies to cable. So let's get started. So a sine wave, or sinusoidal wave, is a mathematical curve that basically describes a smooth periodic oscillation. The sine wave is a continuous wave. It's named after the function sine, of which is is a graph. It occurs often both in pure and applied mathematics as well as physics and engineering. But today, we're really just interested in signal processing. And it's hard to imagine a sine wave in audio format, but let's try this anyway. So grab a pen and a piece of paper, and let's go. First, I want you to draw three parallel lines, equal distances apart, horizontally. The middle lines can represent zero voltage. The top line represents maximum voltage. Today, that's an area that's going to be 5 volts. And the bottom line will be negative 5 volts. Now we're going to draw a waveform, kind of like the letter S, but laying on its side. What you're going to do is you're going to start at the most left point on that centered line. By the way, that's zero degrees. And you're going to draw up and to the right at the same time until you reach that top line. Once you reach that top line, that's 90 degrees. And then you're going to turn while still moving towards the right of the graph. You're going to turn and start heading down. When you go down, when you cross that middle line, That middle line is zero voltage, and it's 180 degrees. You're going to continue on until you reach the bottom line. Remember, that's negative 5 voltage. When you hit that bottom line, that's 270 degrees. Once you touch that bottom line, you're then going to change the direction and head up again until you touch that middle line. At that point, that's 360 degrees. So if you were to take that S that you just kind of made and flipped it back over itself, it would make a circle. That's where this 360 degrees comes from. One complete cycle to maximum positive voltage down to the negative voltage and back to zero is one cycle. The distance between the beginning of one cycle and the beginning of the next cycle is called a wavelength. 
The time at which it takes that complete that one cycle is known as a period. The number of complete sine waves generated in one second is called a frequency. And that's also measured in cycles per second. It's more commonly known as hertz. You might remember we talked about megahertz, right? The height of the sine wave is called amplitude. The higher it is, the stronger the signal. In analog form, that means it's louder. In digital, it just means it's more voltage. For us, we're talking about digital signal processing, so that's going to be maximum voltage. The highest point of any wave is called the peak amplitude or peak voltage. So again, let's kind of use a parable to explain how this all works. We probably all remember at an early age when we were school kids, and we talked about distance, time, and speed, and that relationship of how those two, those three, are actually all connected together. Remember the whole discussion: if if a train travels east at seventy miles per hour, and blah blah, blah that's the relationship between distance, time, and speed. One thing I like to do when I'm on road trips is I like to exercise my mind. It helps make the trip go faster. It helps keep me alert. So one of the things I like to do is I like to calculate how long it's going to take me to get to my next goal. Sometimes it's the next state. Sometimes it's a the next gas station. Or sometimes it's the entire trip. So let's say if I'm driving at 70 miles an hour, and I know that my next goal, which happens to be, let's say, for example, my home, is 140 miles away, I know that it's going to take me two hours to get there. Well, a wavelength is very similar to that. The formula for a wavelength is, is basically a wavelength is equal to speed times time. If a wavelength is a length, i.e. the distance, then we can use that time to compare the speed at which it travels through space. In communications, we use electricity. And electricity on the conductor, we're usually talking about electrons. Fiber, it's going to be a photon. But here we're talking about electrons. The electron travels at a percentage of the speed of light in a vacuum. That's known as the NVP of the conductor. For communications cable, that generally falls between 0.65 and 0.75. At this point, it's a simple math equation. If you know the NVP value of your cable is 0.71, then you know the electron travels at 71% of the speed of light in a vacuum. Well, the speed of light in a vacuum is 186,282 miles a second. If you multiply that by 0.71, you'll find out that the electron travels at 132,250, give or change a little bit, miles per hour. The reason we use speed of light in a vacuum is because the speed of light changes depending on what medium it goes through. The speed of light going through the vacuum of space is going to be different than the speed of light going through air. Now think about that for a second. Air. Well, is the air more clean in downtown Alabama when you compare it to, say, downtown Los Angeles? Right? There's more contamination, more fog. It might delay that light, slow that light down. Same thing with water. The speed of light in water depends whether it's going through salt water or seawater. So, I'm sorry. Depends on whether it's going through salt water or fresh water and how contaminated that water is. The saline in the water could actually refract and slow down that light. So it depends on the saline content of the water. So in order to take out all of those, the different things that could affect the speed of light, that's why we use the speed of light in a vacuum. The speed of light, basically, in space. Because the speed of light in space is always going to be 186,282. That's how we can measure down to the inch how far away the moon is from us. When we shoot that laser light source at the moon at a reflector that was left by one of the previous um, astronauts, there goes your, your conspiracy theory, you never went to the moon, that light bounces back and we can 
figure out the time, how long it took it to go all the way up there and back. And we already know what speed it travels. And it's a basic math calculation. We can figure out exactly down to the inch how far away the moon is from us. Now, to bring this back to our discussion, the speed and the formula for wavelength, in case you forgot, wavelength equals speed multiplied by time. And to connect this together in signal processing, that's where you come in with your encoding schemes. Because that sinusoidal wave is exactly one second. And there's actually an internal clock between the transmitter and the receiver. Now, there's way too many encoding schemes to discuss in a, you know, in a 5-minute, 10-minute, 15-minute podcast. So let's limit our conversation to just a few of them. For example, we're going to talk about non-return-to-zero level, non-return-to-zero-inverted, and the Manchester scheme, because they're the most popular. They are serial encoding mechanisms. Each one of those has different characteristics that makes it useful in different applications. There's also unipolar and bipolar versions of many of these types of encoding schemes. A unipolar has the transition between zero, i.e. the center line of our drawing, and the maximum voltage, which is the top line. A bipolar system has a transition between positive and the maximum negative. So it goes from the very top line through the middle line down to the bottom line. And any method can employ a bipolar encoding scheme. So non-return or zero, or NRZL, L standing for level, every time the voltage is at zero volts, that is considered a zero. Because remember, everything's a zero or a one. When the, when the voltage rises and it gets to the maximum voltage, then the receiver considers that a one. Now, as it turns out, digital signal is not absolute, meaning depending on the kind of transistor technology that's being used, it's going to use a range to determine whether it's a zero or a one. For example, it'll consider a zero anything from about zero to about 0.5 volts. It'll consider a one anytime that voltage gets up between 3.5 to 5 volts. Now, those two bands are the low end and the high end, and the area in between the low end and the high end is considered an undefined area. So going back to the sine wave, when you drew that line and went to zero, the middle line going to the top line to the maximum voltage, that would be a one. And then when the maximum voltage goes back down to zero, that would be a zero voltage, that would be a zero. Now, remember, if it does one, one cycle or one hertz, that's basically going to be two bits. Different encoding schemes allows us to put different numbers of bits on those sine waves. Now let's talk about the NRZI, the non-return to zero invert. The non-return to zero invert is an example of a differential encoding scheme. The encoding scheme is different from non-return to zero level in that the zero is not determined by the voltage level. Rather, it's determined by the change of the voltage. So when it changes from zero to the maximum, it's not the voltage, it's the change between these two that tells the receiver it's either a 1 or a 0. So it's dependent on the bit. If you have two bits in a row that match, then there's not going to be any change, and that's how though that you have two zeros in a row or two ones in a sequence. The Manchester encoding scheme is considered a biphase encoding scheme. Now, these involve extra voltage transitions in the middle of each interval. Remember, we got that clock between the transmitter and the receiver. So it breaks up that, those, the sine waves into sections. So in between each one of those sections, in the middle of that interval, it's either going to be increased from zero to up or from, from the maximum voltage back down to zero. Depending on which way it is, it's going to consider it either a zero or a one. Now, as I said, there's many different encoding schemes, and I've only highlighted just a few of them.
there's a great video that talks about encoding schemes and which shows it visually. And I do recommend that you go watch that video because it kind of it's kind of hard to really explain sinusoidal wave in a podcast format. The URL for that website is www.bitly, B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash the number five M-W-A-R encode. Okay, five minutes with a RCDD. Get it? So again, it's www.bitly bit.ly forward slash the number five M W A R encode. The more ones and zeros that we can put in that one cycle of that sine wave, the more information we can put down that cable. This is why we're still using copper cable after 35 years. When I first got in this industry, actually 38, I forgot how many years I was working in this industry there for a second. And they, when I first got in industry, they always said that copper cabling was a dying technology. Well, encoding schemes, along with changing the physical characteristics of the cable to handle those higher frequencies, keeps us keeps copper the best choice for doing for both voice and data cabling. So now join us next week as we take this concept along with the bits and bytes, and we're going to couple those two together and explain how does that actually apply to cable. I'm also working on some additional concepts. I have upcoming episodes on project documentation, testing, and fire stopping. It's been a busy month between launching this new podcast and working on the homestead and creating content for that as well, especially when you pile on the fact that Chuck has a full-time job, and I spend I do this stuff in the nights after my full-time job is done and working on weekends to create this stuff. As a reminder, we're coming up very close on the closing date for the applications to the mentor program. The closing date is September 30th. After that point, we will no longer accept applications to the mentorship program. The winner will be notified by email on the close of business on October 7th. And again, just to remind you, this is a free 12-month mentoring period where we help you come up with career goals and help you achieve those goals. Now, you're going to do 90% of the work. We're just mentoring you to get you there. One last thing, is there a subject that you would like us to discuss on a future episode? If so, drop us an email. Email us at chuck at five, the number five, minute rcdd.com. We would love to hear what you're hungry to learn about so we can help meet those goals. So until next time, be safe. That's it for this episode of today's podcast. We hope you were able to learn something. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on future content. Also, leave a rating so we can help even more people learn about telecommunications. Until next time, be safe.